0: Yeah. Over to you.
1: One of the um, great old-style evangelists, a guy called J.C. Ryle, said this: "The saddest symptom about many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict and fight." against spiritual apathy in their Christianity. They eat, drink, dress, work, amuse themselves, get money, spend money. They may go through a brief round of formal religious service once or twice a week. But of the great spiritual warfare, its watchings and struggles, its agonies and anxieties, its battles and contests, all of these things, they appear to know nothing. Let us take care, he says, that this case is not our own. And here at St. Paul's, we want to take care, which is why this prayer course that we've been running for the last six weeks culminates in this final session when we look at the issue of warfare in prayer. When Jesus says to the disciples and to us in the Lord's Prayer that we are to pray daily, for deliverance from the evil one, he was telling them, the disciples, and he's telling us, that when we engage in war, we're engaging in a cosmic battle. A war being played out between the forces of good and evil. The word evil is used about 150 times in the Bible, whilst the words devils or demons, or indeed angels, are used over 200 times, mostly, interestingly, in the New Testament. There are clearly enemies to be overcome, battles to be fought, sacrifices to be made. And the key to it all is prayer, which has been called, and I love this, the slender nerve that moves the muscle of God. The slender nerve that moves the muscle of God's power. Now whilst many both in and outside of the church struggle to fully understand God, the sad truth, I think, is that an awful lot more of us really struggle with the idea of a devil and evil. Now, I'm not the only soldier in this church, but as a soldier, I, for one, need no convincing. The evidence is too compelling. It's, it's indeed overwhelming. I've sensed, smelt, and seen too much evil in the world over the last 40 years to dismiss the idea. Driving through a town called Bogoyno in the Balkans, In 95, I could sense and almost taste evil in that place, the presence of evil. And we later discovered that there were mass graves there. I felt the same as I watched other mass graves being dug up in Iraq in 2003. People do terrible things to each other. People like the IRA or the UDA cruelly destroying lives in Northern Ireland. Individuals like Milosevic and Saddam Hussein doing the same in the Balkans and across the Middle East. ISIS, Al-Qaeda bringing death and destruction to New York, London, Afghanistan and numerous other places around the world. But it's not all out there. Amongst the shelves of the religious area of a large bookshop bookshop I was wandering around recently was a section called The Devil, Sorcery and Tarot Readings with titles like The Occult Establishment. The Devil is a Gentleman. Demons of the flesh, sex magic, psychic self-defense, and one called the Second Coming, an apparently devastating true story of black magic, sorcery, and supernatural drama in Britain today. Now we may smile at that, but as history is bookended by violence, so too is the Bible. From the first pages of Genesis to the final pages of Revelation, evil is an ever-present reality, and the devil or Satan is presented as the power behind that evil. From Eden onwards, where God produced perfection and the devil reduced everything to chaos, evil has dominated the life of mankind, blinding and dominating our minds, our desires, our wills, producing division, fear, and death. In one of John's letters in the Bible, 1 John chapter 3, we're told that the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work that is why he came the whole world John says lies in the embrace of the devil the evil one living in this world is like being a citizen in a country dominated by a cruel and dominant dictator and Jesus himself makes it clear that not only is there a devil but he the devil is like a strong man armed and dangerous dominating the world supported by forces and powers which govern and control people the devil's forces have authority they are cunning with plans to use their power for evil not for good and Jesus makes it absolutely clear throughout the Gospels that he was engaged in such a battle such a struggle it wasn't a human fight his enemy was not humanity the power behind humanity. Time and time again, the devil attempts to divert Jesus from the fight, both directly and indirectly, through his own temptations, which we'll hear about in a moment, as well as through the efforts of human friends and enemies. The bottom line is that there is a spiritual battle going on in this world, a battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. We are at war, and we cannot afford to sit on the sidelines. The devil is the commander of the enemy forces, and like any enemy, he needs to be understood in order to be defeated. And if he is to be defeated, we had better take him seriously, and we better take our principal weapon, prayer, seriously too. Now, I'm conscious that this may all be a bit unsettling maybe even frightening there's a lovely story of Field Marshal Montgomery stopping his jeep to pick up a boy with a heavy satchel the boy asks him what do you do and Monty replies I'm a Field Marshal to which the boy replies oh my daddy works in a field he's a farmer, what exactly do you do? Monty says I kill people to which the boy responds can I get out now please? So as Neville comes to read to us, now might be the time for the faint-hearted to leave. Neville, over to you.
2: That reading can be found on page 967 of the Church Bible, taken from Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 4, starting at the first verse. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and him so only serve. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And thanks be to Neville for reading it. You might like to have that passage open and also we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 in a minute. If you can find it, you might like to turn to that as well. Now we've all read the stories about what seemingly ordinary people get up to, children as well as adults. The list is endless, from genocides in places like Rwanda, the Balkans, the Middle East, to events closer to home like the Dunblane Massacres, which are always brought to home when we watch tennis being played today, even today when uh, Murray plays tennis. He was there in that primary school in Dunblane. After Thomas Hamilton had walked into the primary school in Dunblane and shot all those children, the headmaster declared that evil had visited his school. And the lady who lost 19 children from her extended family in Rwanda summed things up by saying that she had supped with the devil. And others there described it as seeing tangible evil. Every day we hear stories about terrorism, human trafficking, corruption, the occult, genocide. And terrible child abuse. Why is it, despite all our efforts to create a so called civilized world, that everything remains much as it has always been? The Bible's answer to that question is profoundly simple. Our battle, it tells us, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of what it describes as this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, there are two equal and opposite dangers when we talk about evil and the devil. One is to just disbelieve their existence. If we don't recognize the reality of evil, then we're effectively blind to what is going on around us. Maybe, in today's world, we put it down to faulty genes. The other danger is to have an unhealthy interest in the devil and all his works and, in effect, to join his side in the war. The devil is equally happy with either of those views. Disbelief or ignorance or, obviously, a decision to join him. We haven't got time to look at each of those in detail, but let me just say this. In one of the early books of the Bible, in Deuteronomy, we read, Let no one be found amongst you who practices divination or sorcery, which is called calling on evil spirits, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or is a medium, or a spiritualist, or who consults the dead. The Lord, the Bible tells us, hates these things. Why? Because it's dangerous. God hates them because the devil uses them to ambush us, to capture us. So we're to avoid... Palm reading, Ouija boards, horoscopes, psychic healers, all that stuff. Trapping us in these apparently harmless activities is but one of the devil's tactics. And like all of his tactics, they are designed to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's the ultimate aim, to destroy our lives. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and live it to the full. In other words, he wants us to enjoy life, but he also wants to protect us from danger. And messing with the devil is not innocent fun. So apart from anything else today, it would be great to pray for anyone who has currently been involved with or previously been involved with or taken a healthy interest in any of those things. Now, as in any war, we need a campaign plan and we need some rules of engagement if we're going to hold our ground and defeat the enemy. There's no secret to this. The Bible lays out both. The overall campaign plan was simple. In a lonely battle, Jesus came in order to overpower evil, to set us free, releasing us, his people, from the tyranny, power, and pervasiveness of sin. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus inflicted a crushing defeat and a mortal wound on Satan. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But whilst ultimate victory was secured on the cross, the reality is there are still many battles to be fought and won. The Allies inflicted a critical blow on the Axis forces in Europe on D-Day on the June the 6th in 1944. Victory was assured from that time, but there was still much fighting to be done before Hitler and all his power were finally destroyed in May 1945 and the same applies here Satan has noth- nothing to look forward to but the certain defeat at Christ's return but in the meantime we need rules of engagement and the equipment to carry into battle and hold our ground if the devil is not to inflict serious damage on us so in Ephesians chapter 6 We're told put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. That full armor includes both defensive and offensive weapons to both protect us and to enable us to take the fight to the enemy. First we're told there is the belt of truth. We are to get as much truth as we can. Read the Bible, pray over it, soak it up Biblical truth is true, even if no one believes it. Just as the devil's lies are lies, even if everyone believes them. And biblical truth is centered on Jesus Christ. I am the way and the truth and the life, he declares. He is truth, and we need to buckle his truth around our waist. Then we need some body armour, what the Bible calls the breastplate of righteousness, which is about a right relationship with God established through Jesus. Those of us who have accepted Christ into our lives have had our sins washed away. The slate has been wiped clean. We are restored into the kingdom of God, restored and rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves, into a kingdom of love and forgiveness, a kingdom of freedom and eternal life. So as we join forces with him in this battle, we do so knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are a righteous and accepted people. It's as if we've been held prisoners of war and Jesus has overrun the enemy and set us free, released to join in the fight. Next, we're to fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace so that we can walk through the mud and the blood of battle and speak out, declaring whose side we are on. We are to preach into spiritual warfare, all of us, not just me standing here, This morning, stand up and tell people about Jesus. If you love Christ, never be ashamed to let others know it and see it in your life. Speak for him. Witness for him. Live for him. For over 40 years, I proudly told everyone that I met that I was in the British Army. And once I'd become a Christian, I told them that I was also in Christ's army. As Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So again, as the old, great old evangelists used to say, preach it, brother, preach it. Preach it, sister, preach it. In today's world, of course, that's tough. So next we need the shield of faith to brush aside the assaults that will come in from the world around us. The flaming arrows of the evil one, as Paul says in that letter. Faith fends off cynicism and skepticism. Cynicism and skepticism undermine and destroy. Faith protects us. It sustains us through the difficult days. Sometimes against all the odds it isn't blind optimism it's built on the certainty of God's love for us we all fail pretty well constantly, some of us including me, but by staying close to God through prayer when it all goes pear shaped, we lift ourselves up, we get back into the fight, in the sure and certain knowledge that he is faithful We are promised in the Bible that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And for this to happen, we need the shield of a powerful faith. Then we are to take the helmet of salvation and pick up the sword of the Spirit, our most effective, offensive weapon. Through Christ's victory, We have freedom from the past, from the things that used to grip our lives. We have been saved from the penalty and the power of our sins. And that freedom allows us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with confidence and with authority. Constantly engaged in spiritual warfare, we heard read to us, 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted, wrestling with the enemy, Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, with huge power. And Satan left him. And from there, Jesus marches to the cross. So grasping hold of the sword, we must pray on all occasions and take the fight to the enemy. Christians have nothing to fear from the enemy rather the devil has everything to fear from us as we advance against him the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness the shoes of the gospel of peace the shield of faith the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God together these help defend us to stand firm and then to go on the offensive And note how this passage in Ephesians ends. And pray in the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Again, it's easily said it's not easy to do. Warfare is a tough business. We see that throughout the pages of the Bible. It takes courage, endurance and perseverance in prayer to win through. Whilst it's true that God hears us the moment we pray, it's also true that we often have to keep on praying in particular circumstances for particular battles to be won. Remember that story in the Old Testament when Daniel turns to prayer and fasting in a response to a vision that he had. After 21 days, we're told in chapter 9 of Daniel, an angel appears and says to him that although his prayers were heard on day one, what he calls the Prince of Persia delayed him. He says, I had to fight my way through. And he was helped by the archangel Gabriel. In other words, he needed reinforcements. And Daniel's persistence in prayer enabled him to stand firm and fight his way through. So persistent prayer sits at the heart of all of this. And alongside living it, living out what we are praying for. A guy called Floyd McClung, interesting name, Floyd McClung, moved to the red light district of Amsterdam and planted his church between a Satanist church on one side and a pornographic book on the other. He said to his team that as well as praying, we're going to live this differently. With sexual immorality on one side he told them that they were going to live with transparency and integrity and accountability. And with Satan being worshipped on the other, he said, we are going to worship openly Jesus Christ as Lord. They lived differently. And within a few years, the pornographic bookstore had shut down and the Satanist church had burnt down. There's that wonderful passage in Two Kings... When the the, the soldiers are about to fight the enemy, Elisha is praying, and the people, the soldiers, think there's nobody here to support us. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, said the servant, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are here with us are more than those who who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open their eyes so he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked up and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There is an army out there supporting us as we pray. And as we pray, imagine it in your minds, that army supporting us. We should note, too, that Floyd and his team planted seeds as well as pulling up weeds. As in any other warfare, in spiritual warfare, we need to work out what the enemy is doing, discern what his strategy is, discover where his strongholds are, and then, with careful discernment, decide how to take him on. Christians often seem to think that spiritual warfare is all about praying against things, driving out evil spirits from people, breaking curses that may need to happen but primarily we must live the opposite we must remember that whilst the enemy is the devil we are dealing primarily with a humanity that is loved by God so we must pray good things into people's lives for perfect love to drive out fear if there's greed live with generosity. If there's arrogance, live with humility. In other words, spend most of our time praying in goodness, praying in the light of Christ, praying in God's love. Bring blessings, not curses, in our prayers. For the ultimate spiritual breakthrough is when an individual who has been in the power of darkness surrenders their life to the light of Christ and becomes a disciple. That's the ultimate victory. And it's a foretaste of the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me end with this. The Christian church can only be built, our church can only be built on the bedrock of the Bible and the truth of the life and death of Jesus Christ. It is on him only that we can rely. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will do. It is through him and him only that we are delivered from evil and into salvation. Jesus took on and defeated the principalities, the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as he hung on the cross... He declared, it is finished. It is accomplished. Now the great deceiver, what the book of Revelation calls the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, the deceiver of the whole world, he may well remain a powerful force in the world until Christ returns. But Christ will return, and he will finally annihilate the forces of evil. The one who brought mankind and the universe down, enslaving it in captivity, will be put in chains and cast out. He will be finally and completely and utterly defeated. The Bible tells us that he will be cast into the lake of fire with all his beasts and false prophets. Until that great day, our war goes on. Until then, Satan can and will continue to inflict serious damage to the world around us so we must engage knowing that the evil one cannot touch those of us who have accepted Christ as our own with the power of the Holy Spirit filling us daily with persistent prayer providing us with an unlimited source of ammunition we must join the fight and resist evil holding firm to the end of our days I was in Oxford on Friday at Christ Church and attended an evensong there. And we sung one of Charles Wesley's great hymns. The first two verses say this Shepherd divine, our wants relieve in this our evil day. To all thy tempted followers give the power to watch and pray. Long as our fiery trials last, long as the cross we bear, O, oh, let our souls on thee be cast in never-ceasing prayer. So may it be for us. Amen.
0: Well, there was so much to think about there, wasn't there? I think it'd be appropriate just to pause for a moment and just uh, reflect on where we're at in terms of what Tim's been sharing. First of all, I just wonder if if we can all close our eyes, and I'm just going to lead us through a little time of just identifying where we are at and where we might like to get to. So first of all, are you someone who has tended to ignore the realities of spiritual battle? maybe downplayed it in your mind, maybe not really understood it, or maybe rather not think about life in those terms. It's God calling you this morning to step forward into the front line, to say, I am going to be part of this army. I'm going to engage in battle. I've been given everything I need and my calling and my greatest honour will be to join the Lord in what he is doing and expanding his kingdom and pushing back that of Satan. Or perhaps you're someone who's felt frightened, maybe overinterested, or had some real uh, contact with the occult in any form and you feel that that's got a hold on you or it's just frightened you off anything to do a spiritual battle. If that's you, we would love to minister to you this morning. There'll be a team on the chancel at the front of church. We'd love to pray for you if you're in that situation. Or maybe you're someone who, for whom this is just a, a call to re-engage with something that you've always known about, you've always believed, but you just want to acknowledge that you've paused, you've taken a break, you've left it to others, you've not seen things quite in these sharply defined terms for a while. I think I'm in that situation, if that's you. Will you choose to reconnect with this calling from God to join him in battle and to see good triumph and evil destroyed? So we're going to take, first of all, just a minute just to acknowledge to God where, where you think you're at and just to make a first stab at praying, God, would you lead me? to the place you want me to be. So just a time of silence to do that, and then I'll explain what's going to happen next.